to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello, hello, hello. The premise of our show is very simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood uh, through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. Today's theme is stolen identities. Shall we uh, begin with A Stolen Life? Uh, yes. So, yeah, Stolen yeah. Life. Um, yeah, Stolen Life. Cool. Uh, I'll give I'll give the uh, synopsis now for those who haven't seen. Spoiler alert. In this romantic melodrama, Betty Davis plays twin sisters for the first time. She would do so again in 1964, Dead Ringer. Kate Bosworth is a sincere demure girl, demure girl and talented artist. Her twin sister Pat, also Davis, is a flamboyant man-hungry manipulator. Orphans, the girl's guardian is her cousin Freddie, with whom Kate elects to spend the summer on Martha's Vineyard. There she meets Bill, Glenn Ford, a handsome engineer spending summer vac- a summer vacation as a lighthouse inspector. Kate falls deeply in love with Bill, but when Pat shows up, he goes for the more exciting sister, eventually marrying her. Devastated, Kate throws herself into her art, but she becomes discouraged under the tutelage of an abusive master, Karnak. A sailing accident gives Kate the chance to take her her sister's place, but can she fool Bill into believing that this sweet, innocent woman is the philandering, scheming wife? So, Nick... I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this film. Um, so I kind of wish that the plot synopsis you gave was more exciting, was uh, as, a, you know, was the actual film, because it made it sound more exciting than it actually was. Um, oh. Yeah. Ouch. Um, so I really, I don't have much to say. I mean, it, I honestly, I am, apart from apart from betty davis's two performances and the i'm i miss special effects um of the the in-camera effects or however they did it of the 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 two betty davises together as pat and um katie um this was for me i eh i i rated it three stars on letterboxd purely because of betty davis's performances um i get the feeling she had more fun playing pat um and we didn't see enough of pat which was my complaint um uh, with that um i just i mean, just general it's... just general things like the film itself was just okay um and uh, like i said and the, the performances of betty davis of the two sisters really made the film better for me then I think it they they belong it belonged in a better film I think, um, I didn't like Karnak, um, the artist. What? 
Um, he needed taking down a peg or two or five. Oh, come um, on. Um, you would be surprised to, to hear my notes on this. <laughs> he was uh, a very irritating character. And um, there's a lot of contemporary sexual politics at play. Uh, not contemporary, um, past 1940s. Contemporary to their era. Contemporary to their era. <laughs> sexual yes. politics at play which i'm I, glad you picked up on which that i think you're gonna have notes on i, um, I will yes i mean i got a, like a rhetorical question um yes. did betty davis actually have chemistry with glenn ford um because i think she had more affection for the dog than him um that's an interesting one <laughs> um the, yeah. I think the film kind of turns into Wuthering Heights at the end with the fog. Uh, <laughs> I was literally sat there and I was like, where has all this fog come from? Are they on the moors? Is this Wuthering Heights? Where's Kate Bush? Um, <laughs> and lastly, like, I mean, this film is apparently based on is a re- re- remake of a film, a British film, which in turn was an adaptation of a book, uh, of a, a story or what have you. And I'm quite surprised that I spoke about it last week about my um, journey into the, the films of Michael Douglas in the 80s. I'm kind of surprised that this was remade in the 1980s with Michael Douglas in the Glenn Ford role and it leaning more towards the 80s erotic thrillers of Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. Um, I kind of... Uh, War of the Worried Roses as well. I kind of get the feeling that it should have been remade at that point in the 80s it would have been the, the general story i think kind of matches what um i kind of was watching and kind of feeling when i was watching these michael douglas films where you know there's something there where about a guy having his head fucked with with by by two twins um <laughs> uh, if michael which, douglas were to hear you he would say it's not too late <laughs> I mean, I, if, they were, if they were going to do it now, if they were going to do it now, I would cast Michael Douglas in the Glenn Ford role because I think a lot of, you know, nowadays they're kind of giving these um, old actors, you know, uh, what are they called? Like heritage roles, like the roles that they made them. So you had Michael Keaton play Birdman, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, because of Batman. And um, I think, you know, giving Michael Douglas one last erotic thriller film and then maybe having, <laughs> you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones as the two twins. Um, wow! I think that that would have been that would be an interesting <laughs> film. I think it would be. I think it'd be really good if it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Get him back. Um, no. Wow. Um. To, to to so that's my pitch. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rich and I'm gonna pitch this to to whoever. Uh, Warner Brothers because this is a Warner Brothers film. I'm gonna go to Warner you'd Brothers. You'd have and go, to you'd have to hurry up because I think I mean. Michael Douglas is in his eighties now. I yeah, think. I th- I think that's why I said like Michael Douglas and his on and his actual wife Catherine Zeta Jones because I think if it was any other woman opposite Michael Douglas, it wouldn't quite work. Uh, no, be, no, you know, it be, wouldn't. It would be really creepy. So it has to be Michael Douglas. I'm going to give him fifty million pounds, fifty million dollars, <laughs> or what have you, to make a mid-budget erotic thriller in the vein of Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction. And have two twins fuck with Michael Douglas's brain um, for for a hundred minutes, and I will pay good money to see that. 
Um, so in summation, <laughs> my thoughts on the film is that there's an interesting ideas in there, and if it wasn't for Betty Davis's performances, I it I mean, I, it would be quite it's it's. <laughs> I don't want to say it's the worst film we've talked about on the podcast. Um, hey! I think it's probably, like, it's not the worst film. As I'm not saying worst as in it's really, really bad. I'm just saying that... Probably the one that you dislike the most? Yeah, no, I just the one I was most ambivalent about. Like, at least when we spoke about West Side Story, like, we had something to kind of latch onto with the performances of Rita and some of the songs and... You know, we had a good discussion about its its kind of relationship to, to Romeo and Juliet. Just with this, like, I kind of wanted it to be... I don't know, there's... You know, I was I was okay. expecting Pat to come back from the dead or something, you know? Like, something <laughs> that, that kind of adds a bit more suspense to it. And the fact that she didn't pop up at the end and be like, Oh, I'm still alive, you know? I don't know, like... Okay. I just... I, I'm, I'm, like I said, like with Betty Davis's performances, you know, I get the feeling that she had more fun playing Pat, especially after last week when we watched uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. And I know we've got at least one other Betty Davis uh, film coming up soon, coming up, I won't say soon, but we have another Betty Davis film cut talking about on, yes, on the planning schedule. Yes, we do. Um, I just... I kind of think there was something more there. there there's, there's something there's something more that should have been given. And um, yeah, I, I, I feel okay. really bad saying that because... No, like, no that's, your, that's, your, that's your opinion. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, um, I, I do think that you probably might not be the right audience for this film. No, um, I mean, I am, a, I am a straight man in my 30s. Um, you know, like... I wrote about Michael Bay for my dissertation. I'm probably not the right audience for this. It is a it is a melodrama, and I do have issues with melodramatic films, which is, I think I have issues with melodrama when it's played in romance, because when I talk about some films that are melodrama, um, um, there are aspects of melodrama in the work of Sam Raimi, for example, and. You know, I love Sam Raimi, but with when melodramas played with romance, it just—I mean, it kind of just doesn't—it doesn't sit right with me. I'm not captivated. I'm not swooning, and I say that as somebody who was forced to read *Wuthering Heights* when he was nine years old by my mum. <laughs> um, and I—I I do like *Wuthering Heights*. It was a fantastic book, and but. It's just something about this film just didn't just didn't sit right, and I just think that there was a better film in there, and I think it was I think it's prime for a, a retelling of sorts if it hasn't been done already. That's that's that. So yeah, that that's me kind of done on a stone of life. I I really don't have much to add um, on that. Okay, um, so I have a few ideas on 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 how to sort of tackle this. You're right. It's it is a melodrama. It's it's part of the quote unquote women women's pictures of the Warner Brothers nineteen um, forty style. Um, there's a few things that didn't work for me as well. I it's not a it's not a, 
it's a very flawed film. Um, but I think from a woman's point of view, it's, it, it's interesting. I know I've been quoting um, Isabella from uh, Be Kind, Rewind, but um, I keep quoting her because her content, her content is incredible. Yeah, that, that video. You, um, we'll link it to the show notes, but that video that you, yes, you sent me. Yeah, it's really, really good. It was really good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Katie is... Yeah, she's like the demure version of yeah, like the the pure woman. Um, uh, what didn't work with me is that she's she's presented at the beginning as a, as a very stubborn young woman, very independent. But, however, when when Pat comes into play, she just gives up. Why couldn't Kate fire for the man she loves? Um, she's a very she's she's a very um meek character like... yes she is meek um what I, yeah it, it was interesting at the beginning because it sets it up as if the when she meets bill and they start chatting when she's trapped um in the fog on at the lighthouse they um there's a quote that i quite liked it says lonely people want friends it's difficult for them to find other lonely people and they kind of they compliment each other so you think that's the film sets the relationship like this perfect match and then all it takes all it takes is a bit of quote unquote cake frosting to divert divert it of course pat is presented here as a, the evil twin who loves sex um she is the evil twin because she seems to be interested in bill only because katie is interested in him she marries bill but she's never faithful to him and other than the first lunch they have together and that one tiny scene in the, on on the train um you don't see them alone together or you alone in love except for the the scene at the wedding so there's very little rapport between the the pat and bill so there's very you don't believe that love story you don't really believe it because you don't see it um with regards to that lunch what sort of man doesn't get suspicious when a woman pulls a stunt like that? So she lets him kiss her. And he, you know, she basically manipulates him. And he's like, yeah, oh, okay. At the same time, the signal she gives is that she's up, she's up for sex. So I guess, why not? Why wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's clearly, he's clearly finally getting what he wants. So why would he question it? Yeah. <laughs> It may not be blatantly obvious because the film was made during the production code, but it would not be a stretch to assume that Bill and Pat had sex when they got to Boston, when uh, Pat basically follows him um, and she basically stalks him and meets him on the train. Um, the way Katie gives up on Bill just as soon as Pat makes a move on him, it's like she's the kry kryptonite. In any other circumstance, as it like at the beginning when we see her actively pursuing Bill to go to the uh, by going to the lighthouse and 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 being there, uh, she's determined, she's stubborn. But as soon as Pat is Pat is around, she just turns to mush, which is kind of annoying. Um, so yeah, you I, I kind of see why you would you'd say Pat was more exciting to see. And you probably would have would have loved to see more of her, but for the forties audiences, it would have been everyone would have had to root for Katie because she's the more conventional one. Um, you, don't, you don't get 
you don't really see Pat, apart from the one scene with the picnic where she pretends to be Katie, you yes. don't see a malicious or a, a sinister personality. No, but the thing is with Pat, I've been thinking a lot about it. You would... She 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 shouldn't be too evil, but the the fact that she goes as far as as marrying ha- him, I, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I'm just I got to the Karnak is my favorite character. I know he annoys you, but uh, I find him the most straightforward of the lot. He always speaks his mind. Um, and the fact that he's basically suggesting that he's she's a prude virgin, which she might be. Of course she is. It's nineteen forty six. Um. It, it it's just like he might be able to actually let her be herself and sort of guide her into becoming more open about her sexuality um and her artistry as well uh i found i like the ambiguity of the line when he says you're not a hopeless case after she comes to see his uh artwork we don't know whether he refers to her as an artist or, or as a woman the film suggests that both aspects of her life might need some improvement but it kind of it kind of, that's i think that's what that's what makes the film a bit flawed it abandons it abandons the idea as soon as the man she quote unquote truly loves comes back into her life even for a short while when he calls her up to to ask her to uh help him pick a gift for pat and then all of a sudden because she realizes that he never loves her she decides she's a third rate artist and won't want to work towards improving which is kind of fair enough because if you're not if you don't have the spark of the artist you might as well give up um but i think the relationship with karnak might have been worth pursuing it would have been maybe maybe too bohemian for a 1940s film imagine having two artists just run amok yeah god forbid yeah instead they go with the formula of woman needs only one man to make her a woman the right man and nothing else will do so in order for that to happen, she has to leave it up to fate to eliminate the evil sister. So the evil sister, right? She's presented in contrast with Katie, who is like pure as, you know, the sweetest, purest thing. But they are both independent, only that Katie is, is more of brooding, lo- lonesome figure. Maybe romantic, maybe more bohemian. While Pat just enjoys sex. Probably, probably a bit too much. Maybe, maybe Bill's not very good in bed. In another time, she would have probably just slept with Bill and not married him, and then moved on to another man, leaving Bill to Katie. So the only sin Pat did commit, in my view, was just to put a ring on it. She didn't really have to. She could have just slept with Bill, left him to Katie. Katie would have taken him. Right, does that make Katie the role model, like the model wife? No. So, well, at least we can see that we've kind of evolved from having that p- idea that, you know, Katie should be the, the ideal and everyone should root for her because she lets herself being stepped on. So, yeah, not not the best film on our podcast, but I really enjoyed it. And having Betty Davis to, for the price of one is always a, is always a nice can I can I continue casting my my remake of this? So I think I think for the role of of uh, of Kate uh, Katie and Pat, 
we've I've gone with Catherine Zeta Jones. I've gone with Bill in the in the Glenn Ford role. I think as Carnock, I'm gonna go with uh, Robert Pattinson because he's kind of got a, a smouldering uh, bohemian look about him, but he can do like this weird intensity. I was just thinking eyes, about but, Robert but, Pattinson. Know, some, there's something's a bit weird, you know, like yeah, yeah. So, like I think Robert Pattinson, and obviously, like I can see Catherine Zeta-Jones caught of going for Robert Pattinson. So I would have loved you know, to see like that this... film about you know how they get on because they might get on, but they might also be like yeah, there's pushing like, each other's it could buttons, be so- something off, you know, and and i i don't know like i i i'm going to go with that i'm going to rewrite this film i think and, and, uh, and try and get robert Pattinson and michael douglas well that's what i was thinking films. about it would have been a different film if if there had been more tension if it'd been more like if kate had just decided that maybe maybe bill's not the one maybe maybe Carnac yeah might 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 be worth her time imagine that i mean she kind of shows like a a soft i wouldn't say a soft yeah kind of a soft side to him in that, you know, like he is quite an abrasive character. He abrasive is, but person. I think that's why he I mean, charms. The way he treats the model, um, the way yeah. he kind of presumes that he can kind of just lounge around and do nothing. Like it's a very abrasive character, but she kind of shows a softness to him and affection towards him, and kind of almost leads him on. <laughs> and yeah, but I, at the same I time, do, he appreciates even I, like, her. Even though I don't, even though I didn't like his character because he kind of irritated me. I kind of did feel sorry for him because, you know, like he, at the end of the day, he was—he he probably was just being led on by a woman. He really cared for her as well. Yeah. If you remember at the, at the that scene where Bill calls her up and she just drops everything and runs to him, and then she she has some time to think about it and comes back home late at night and he's still there waiting for her. Yeah. I thought that was very sad, and she she shouldn't have done that. Yeah, bitch move, Katie. Bitch move. <laughs> right so on, on shall we note. move on to on that note um let's talk about birth yeah so 2004 directed by jonathan glazer his uh second feature film um after um sexy beast which came out in 2000 um so i have a bit of a plot synopsis um so it took anna 10 years to recover from the death of her husband sean but now she's on the verge of marrying a boyfriend joseph and finally moving on however on the night of her engagement party a young boy named sean turns up saying he is her dead husband reincarnated at first she ignores the child but his knowledge of a former husband's life is uncanny leading her to believe that he might be telling the truth i this film is very um i think going to be quite difficult to talk about um and as such i'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say okay i loved it hooray i'm actually clapping my hands right now um i really really liked it um i loved the cast the, sc- the cast was really good denny houston has my admiration since he played the Axeman in season three of American Horror Story. If you haven't seen that show, check it out. Those eyebrows, man, they deserve the bonus episode on a po- on this podcast. We should do that. Sorry, um, who, who, who was that? You you broke up a little bit. Uh, Danny Houston's eyebrows. We should make. We should do a bonus episode on on his eyebrows. I mean, it's 
he I I think with the problem with his role he was he wasn't given enough to do in this I I don't think. But I mean, I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, we, one of my... I've I've got thoughts on Danny Houston's character uh in this. Um but yeah, like the entire supporting cast is amazing. I mean Peter Stormore shows up. Um Oh my god, like, yeah, I Yeah. <laughs> Peter um uh Peter Stormer is always great, even though Spoiler alert, he does not play a ridiculous hitman in this one. Um, and Lauren Bacall is a legend. What can you say about her? She's just incredible. Yeah, I kept... So I kept a few things secret when I uh, proposed this film to you. Uh, one of them was that Lauren Bacall was in it, and the other was the score done by Alexander Desplat. Desplat? Yes. How do you spell his last name? Desplat. Desplat. So there were, there, those were the two things I kept quiet because I knew you would he like... was very good um i loved the score i love the style the pacing the cinematography was very good i read some reviews and they were they kind of said there was almost almost kubrickian but with a glazier tw tw swirl um i i yeah i it was it was very well done it was very well executed i want to take a moment and acknowledge how ridiculously rich these people are I mean, Lauren Bacall plays the mother of, of Nicole Kidman, who Anna. I mean, that apartment is ridiculous. It's got two having, floors. Oh, and it's like having a wedding band play the wed wedding march just like to sample the music. I assume it would have been to choose which version of one song to play. How many ways can you play a wedding march? Anyway, Nicole Kidman uh, gave, I think one of her best on-screen performances ever. Um, it was clear to me from the beginning that this film was not, was about not being able to let go of the past. Um, you said at the beginning that she's moving on from, she, it's been 10 years and she's moved on from the death of her husband, but I, you see her at the beginning, you, she hasn't. Um, yeah, that, the, the synopsis I gave, like, I wouldn't describe it as moving on in the emotional sense, I would just mean moving on in terms of like she's got another She has to, yeah, she yeah. kind of has to, but she hasn't. Um, yeah, she's definitely um, not not there yet and clinging on to the idea that he's reincarnated. Um, I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I know it was controversial and probably that's why it might have put some critics off. Um, the um, controversial scenes in the bath with the kid. I wasn't too disturbed by the closeness of them. It didn't feel sexualized. It just felt really emotional, like showing two re really vulnerable people. Um, the two-minute close-up at the concert of, of Nicole's face was very good, as well as the scene when she tells him she wants to run away with him and then wait for him to grow up, followed by his confession that he's not. Um, well, he, yeah, what... he, he doesn't... He doesn't. I suppose we can get into. I I, I do want to get into what your theory is uh, about Sean. Um, but yeah, carry on. Um, I was. I'm just going. I'm just. I was just getting to that. Um, this. What disappointed me was to find that the dead Sean had been having an affair with his best friend's wife, which was ridiculous. I thought that was an unnecessary cliche and, and a painful one when you look at the fact that this woman has been still grieving for her husband 10 years on. Um, I thought that was a bit cruel. 
Um, as well, we had the opening voiceover for the, the Sean just before he dies. The dead Sean talking about his wife as if she was the most precious thing in the world to him. When we find out that that was not the case. Um, and my last note was on um, Joseph. I, f I, f I love the scene when he attacks young Sean. I, I thought that was very funny. Um, it reveals that young Sean is just a child and that also Joseph has a bit of growing up to do, attacking a 10-year-old. Um, to give Joseph credit, he appears genuine, although he was coming off slightly creepy at the beginning um, when he was saying that he's spent years and years chasing after Anna. Um, bit stalkery. I'm like, you say, you, you know, you've been turned down five times and then keep going and that yeah that was a bit weird there's, there's something there's something inherently disconcerting about danny houston in general i know those eyebrows man there's something up with that guy and i think i was expecting i was kind of expecting the young shan to, to to reveal something about joseph being a murderer or something like you know when he says don't marry joseph like yes you kind of think well yeah you're probably right there's something off about danny houston and you know, I think that's a testament to Danny Houston's performance in this, is that yeah. even at the end with the wedding um, on on a, a very overcast May beach. day on the beach, like, there is something off about him. And you kind of, there's something about this, there's this unease about Danny Houston in, in this as Joseph. Um, yeah. Do you... You, yes. kind of, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Do you believe that Sean, the boy, is actually reincarnated? Or no. do you think he actually just read the letters and... He just read the letters, I think. pretended. Yeah, I think the, the, it might have been just the coincidence, the fact that he's named Sean and he was born just 10 years ago. What like... about, what about um, knowing where Sean died? How did he know that? Uh, yeah. Silence. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I didn't think about that because that would not have been in the letters, would it? No, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been in the letters. So you think he, you think he's the reincarnation? I think there's enough doubt in there to. Be... There is doubt. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not contesting. Especially when when he jumps in the bath with her and he says, "I'm just looking at my wife." That feels so natural, and it feels like, yeah, yeah, I can believe him. And like there's something but off there's something off about the the way his mum like Sean's mum talks about him um saying you know he never used to be like this you know like there's something off about him now like it's almost as though those letters have kind of awoken something in him um that you know like he's it's implied that he's born as Sean dies it's you know it and yeah. like, I think maybe it's also a testament to Nicole Kidman's performance that we we want to believe in this yeah. fantastic thing, even though we really should be taking the position of you know her sister, <laughs> who is. Just I know. Like, I think know. that's the. I think that's the whole idea of the film. It leaves you wondering, and it leaves you thinking that yes, there is a possibility. I mean, he could have probably looked up the history because he was a scientist, wasn't he? Yeah, but the the Sean was ten. 
You well, might have. I mean, th- I mean, I don't know. I don't, apart from Lisa Simpson, I don't really know of a of a uh, of a child that young that's, you know, would would maybe go to a library Be- and and you know just. Oh to... come on, people, ten year old kids go to libraries. Well, yeah, I, I went to a library, so maybe my point my point is a bit silly, but <laughs> like what I mean is. I I know I know I know it's just that I think it's just because Nicole Anna um just wants to believe so much uh it's just it just feels too much of a coincidence that his father worked in the same building and he saw her and he um it was it it was the, it was um it was her I mean he, he if you think about it, the kid might have seen her before and he fell in love with her before and then he saw the letters, and then he decided I mean, that he could do the that. Thing, the thing that I always go back to is the fact that he knew where Sean died. And okay. the way the film kind of has that. And then you see the kind of... It's not... Is it a monologue at the end that Nicole, that Anna gives? Um, or the boy gives where it's like... doesn't You know, he's seeing somebody and he isn't sure why he felt the way he did. You know, like... He he gives a monologue. I don't know. Like, I think. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I think I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just you know, maybe it's just me belie- wanting to believe in. You're in a believer. That's... that's actually absolutely fine. You know, I think that's what I think that's what kind of yeah. It's and I think that's what the be- the beauty of the film is that it leaves you wondering and it leaves you not being being hundred percent sure that it's it's black or white. I mean, there's there's something. Um just generally quite magical about the film yes um referring to alexander despat's score is honestly it it's so beautiful i i listened when i uh knew that we were talking about this film uh, a good few weeks ago i actually started listening to the score again um on on spotify because it's so I don't know. It's just so captivating. Um, yeah. The way New York looks. I mean, it's quite. You know, Glazer's direction. You know, just in general, he's always been kind of dubbed as the next Kubrick. I mean, as I, I think that's probably because of his. Um, you can draw parallels between Two Thousand One Space Odyssey and Under the Skin. Um, but there's hmm. there's something certainly relatable between this and Eyes Wide Shut, in that New York is very wintry. It's cold, but it's it's you know it's, it's yeah like very a gray kind of night you know it's like a magical kind of winter you know what I mean yeah I like that idea because it, it, yeah outside is always very very gray but inside there's all the like the primary pastel yeah. colors and everything's very lavishly decorated you know inside they're, they're, even when even when they go to the wedding you know the, at the wedding on the beach in May like it yeah, is sunny look, yeah. It's cold. It looks cold. It looks. It's blustery. It's overcast, and like. And she's not happy. No, she's still. She's still grieving. Um, she's still grieving, and there's something striking about seeing a woman in a bridal gown, on the beach, Crying. in the water. Is, like. No, that was beautiful. That yeah, was beautifully it's done. Not, it's not an image. It's a. It's a striking image, but you don't see. You don't see it at all. Like it's somebody. You know, I, it, I'm surprised. There probably are other examples of it in in other literature or in in other films, but I'm surprised to have not seen this in other films that I've seen, where I'm like, oh, there's a woman in a wedding dress on a beach. You mm. know, it it kind it's kind of almost like the, 
the end sequence to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where you don't ever see snow on a beach. And no. there you do. And there's something yeah. quite inherently off about it, but also at the same time quite amazing and and I think that's probably what this the the that end sequence does as well. And you know, we we're we're always led to believe who Sean was. Um, you know, they have that opening speech at the beginning, um, you know, which I think is <laughs> the fact you don't see him, you just hear his voice over yeah. black. Um and then you hear that he they had third they they had thirty weddings at thirty churches in thirty days. Um yeah, and it's incredibly it. it's incredibly romantic. You know, like bit of an overkill. It's an overkill. It's also something that only the one percenters can do. But it's 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 romantic. It's a romantic gesture and like something that Joseph couldn't do. Um because you know you look at joseph and you think well that guy couldn't do 30 weddings in 30 days you know he just wants to get married and have it over and done with um yeah um do you so do you have any like thoughts on because i mean you've seen under the skin and um before this um i made you watch his short film that he released uh, I think it was early. It was last year, October. 2019. Oh, October last year, it came out. He did a short film called The Fall. Um, yeah, that was very good. So I don't know if you have any general thoughts about Jonathan Glazer as a director. I don't know if you've seen any of his music videos. Um, I know I... everybody's seen the adverts that he's done, whether you know it's Jonathan Glazer or not. Um, so I don't um, know if you have any general thoughts on 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 him at I, all. I like his style. He. I think he, he, there's a quality about his, his work that makes you unsettled. It makes you not sure of, of yourself anymore. It's, it's a different world that you don't really know. And you have to check it yourself every time and make sure that what you're seeing is real. And then often enough is not. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it gets to the essence of, of like, being human but also not being human and just gets the, the the ugliness of human out but also the beauty of it yeah um i think there's like something quite surreal almost about his films that there's always something that's not quite right um as, yeah as you said i mean um in sexy beast I don't want to give too much away because it is a fantastic film to go in cold with. Um, but there are moments in Sexy Beast which are almost like, you know, Sexy Beast is kind of played off and advertised as though it, it's, you know, it, it's of the same kind of um, uh, like nature as uh, films like Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch and, and uh, Layer Cake. You know, those kind of British crime films that all came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Sexy Beast was kind of like marketed as one of those. It's anything but. It's anything but. Um, with I think it's much skin, more darker than, from know, from memory. I've seen bits of it, and it it strikes it strikes me as much darker than uh, Snatch or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I mean, it's it's also got a hell of a performance of Ben Kingsley. Um, if if you if anybody listening to this hasn't seen Sexy Beast, I mean. It is on it's like ninety minutes long. Um 
Ray Winston, uh, Ben King, Sir Ben Kingsley, Ian McShane is in it. I love um, Ian McShane. So Ian McShane is in it, um, and it is it is something it's something special in terms of British what British crime films you know could have been rather than kind of going down the Guy Ritchie route all the time. Um, <laughs> with Under the Skin, you know, there's something. That film goes into. I re I rewatched it uh, for the first time since it came out uh, the other day in preparation for this, um, and that film goes into what it means to be human more than I than I remembered it to be. Yes. Um, the journey of Scarlet's alien. She's never given a name. It's always the alien. Is no, is what she's it is the at, alien in the, in the in the credits. Her journey through the film is what it is to be human, and it goes so. It's her journey, as it were, and it's it's oh, it's so good, so good. I just want to rewatch it now. Um, <laughs> but there are moments in that which are you know for a film about an alien, you know, you know trapping men in in a dark room, you know, there's there there is another. There's also surreal elements in terms of his visuals. You know, there's an image of of uh, Scarlet kind of lying down, and she her figure is superimposed on the woods, and the wood. You know, the, there's lots of wind and what have you, and it's kind of like this stillness image. You know, um, there's something more in there if if if, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, his his commercial work uh, has always implied something underneath which is kind of perfect for what an advertisement really should be um you know the most famous of which is 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 advert for guinness the surfer advert which i'll link to in the show notes um he also did an advert for cadbury's flake uh called temptation which was uh pulled by um i think it was the, i don't think it was even aired by cadbury's because it it was too sexualized oh. um yeah so and he's done, you know, lots of other work in commercials. He did. Uh, he's done quite a lot of stuff as Stella Artois. Um, he redid the um, eye dents for Channel Four the other year. So the way Channel Four looks now, that's you know, sort of Jonathan Glazer's input. Um, and then his music videos, you know, most notably uh, Karma Police by Radiohead and yes. St Street Spirits Fade Out by Radiohead. Um, he also did the Virtual Insanity. Um, music video for Jamiroquai, um, which is fantastic. Um, I love that video. Oh, it's so good! I didn't realize it was him. Yeah, it's it's. It's my uh, favorite song by Jamiroquai. My favorite video. Jamiroquai's so good. I don't know why nobody talks yeah. about Jamiroquai nowadays, but he's so good. Um, Has he done anything lately? Yeah, he had an album out last year. I think last oh. year, year before. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like back to Jonathan Glazer, like. Nobody else has a filmography like him. He's, I think that's why he also gets the comparisons with Kubrick. is because yeah. since 2000, when Sexy Beast came out, this came out in 2004, and then he did nothing till 2014 for 10 years. Yeah. So in 20 years, he has done three feature films and one short film, and like, you know, a, a quite a lot of advertising work. And, you know, in the 90s was when he was most prolific with the, the music videos. Um, mm -hmm. so like nobody, yeah. I think nobody, no other director kind of has a filmography like him. Um, he's very, he comes across as he's very particular about what he wants to work on. 
Um, and for that, I I really give him credit. Um, and he's very talented. I, I mean, you, you know, he's he knows what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. And yeah, he's. I think he's very talented. And I think yeah, he's. He might not be for everyone. He's not very commercial. Oh, no, um, any, I remember he's watching. He's anything but commercial. I mean, I couldn't see my parents sitting down and watching Under the Skin, for example. Um, I watched it with a friend of mine and she didn't get it. She was bored. Yeah. Um, I thought of, it was brilliant. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, he's, he's got a film in the works, from what I can tell. Um... It's apparently meant to be due out next year, and rumours are that it's got something to do with Auschwitz. Um, mm. So that's going to be interesting. Um, so yeah. Um, that short film that I made you watch uh, called The Fall, I kind of want to give it a special, another special mention, is that it came out in October last year, and it came out in around about a time where the news cycle is very much orientated around what's going on politically both over here and in america and okay the, that short film is so perfectly encapsulates persecution yeah um, it's darkly it's so dark it's horrific it is and it's so relevant to the era that we're living in what i loved about it is that in the end there's still a, a tiny glimmer of hope tiny 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 one a min minuscule but there's still that thing that drives people forward yeah yeah you know don't give up keep fighting and you might be able to outsmart them that's yeah i mean that that's kind of it um yeah um no i'm honestly uh one last thing i actually i i can't believe i forgot to mention this already but the film was shot uh the cinematographer was the late great harry savides savides um who was oh, a cinematographer Beth. for zodiac um yes quite a, lot of, quite a lot of fincher stuff and he was also cinematographer for gus van dance uh gus van sant's um death trilogy um so jerry elephant and last days um, if you haven't seen those, I, 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 I mean, obviously they're all about death, but they're fantastic films to look at. Harry Savides' cinematography, I mean, Zodiac is astonishing to look at, and this film also does that. I think the scene in question, the scene that kind of, like, is perfectly kind of encapsulates the whole film, is that shot in the opera. Yes, um, with Nicole's face. It's a dance sequence that she's watching, but it's where it's a single. You don't shot. even know what she's watching, but she she's not there anyway. No, she's, she's not. Miles she's mentally, away. Yeah, she's mentally checked out. Yeah, the, it's it's a close up on Nicole Kidman's face. It is held for a long, long time. I mean, you said it was what two minutes? Did you? I think it was two it? minutes. I looked it up. I think it was yeah. Um, the gold of her dress, the way her the. Um, lights around her kind of reflect off of her dress and in her eyes you can kind of see it in her eyes um, but the way the what how her face is is 
you know, it's filled with this, with thought and hope and despair all at the same time. And yes. then you have Danny Houston kind of leaning in every now and then and just whispering, whispering something to her. Stuff, yeah. And you kind of get this break in concentration in her face, but not as so much as though she's checked out of her thought process. Um, and it's it's astonishing to look at. Um, I don't think it would work with... I was happy to find that uh, Nicole has listed this one of her favourite films of her own. And uh, she said that she was... Uh, no... She didn't say she was disappointed, but I think I would have been disappointed if if it were me and if the critics hadn't understood it the way they didn't because it was it was not very well received. No, it it got uh, it's. I mean, I spoke about this last week. It's got thirty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Which is, a couple it, of the it's reviews. It's shame. I really liked it. I really did. Yeah, a couple of the reviews I've got is um. David Anson of Newsweek said that the script is Huey. Birth is ridiculous and oddly unforgettable. Uh, Michael O'Sullivan in the Washington Post said that um, what I'm not so fond of is the is the cop out ultimately taken by the filmmakers who can't seem to follow through on their promise, promisingly metaphysical premise, electing instead to eliminate all ambiguity. In his review for the New York Daily uh, New York Daily News, Jack Matthews called the film corny, plodding implausible and on occasion seriously creepy um it for me that missed the point they of the did film. not eliminate all ambiguity i don't think it did or it didn't sorry it didn't no, no it i didn't. don't think it did i think i think there is like like you said how would he have known where his body just collapsed yeah. on the run why, why another question why would he follow the woman in the first place the, the the girlfriend in the first place to get the letters. Why would he do that? Yeah. Because she was like she left to go and get a ribbon, and she says that downstairs, like she says, oh, "I'm going to go and get a ribbon." So she leaves. So why would Sean then follow her? If that's another you know, good point. You know. Um. And I, I mean, she says she says. I mean, her name is um. Uh, Carla, Clara, 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 uh, played by Anne Hesch, who I initially thought was Judy Greer, but um, no, yeah, like she says to him that if you were Sean, you would come to me first. Um, but there's something inherent, there's something like a, a bit off with her as well. Um, maybe he, maybe he is Sean, and maybe he. Once he's died, he realised that he didn't love Clara. That's it. Maybe, maybe he when he's Anna died, he's more. had a realisation about who his love actually is. He's been, he's been, he's been a very bad man, deceiving this woman, and now he's been very like. Another thing. Repentant. Another thing is that when Peter Stormore shows up at the house, he doesn't. Nobody. In, I paid very close attention to this. Nobody introduces him as Clifford to Sean, young Sean. Um, before Sean runs up and gives him a hug. Yeah, I did. I did wonder about that because Sean didn't know who who yeah. he was. He just runs up and gives him a hug, because... and it's only after he does that that Anna turns to him and says, "I need to speak to Clifford alone." Yeah, yeah. No, I do. I know. I, That's I, what I mean. I, I've been wondering about that. There's enough um... seeds of doubt in the film that kind of that kind of make you think that. 
there is something there and yeah. i maybe maybe it's just me maybe it's because i love believing in this fantastical thing um but the the you know i just want to believe that it's actually true um i i yeah that's what i mean there's enough seeds of doubt and i think it's the way it's constructed i think it's very very good and um the the, the critics that say that it, it removes all ambiguity and like it's creepy it kind of misses the whole point of the film and it kind of makes me think that he weren't actually paying any attention um yeah they probably should have watched it twice hmm. just to be sure that's what good critics do that is very much what the good critics do so yeah i'm cool. honestly i'm really happy we've got got to talk about birth um like i said it's yeah. a very underrated film and i don't think it's spoken to spoken about enough of um so so yeah what have you got on for next week um so we're changing up a little bit um we are going down the noir route again uh we did noir uh our second episode we did uh mommy vice and angels with dirty faces yes get that right. not with filthy um, souls that's that's, that's, a, that's not that's not a film yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so next week we're going to be talking. We're going down the noir route again. We're going to be talking about In a Lonely Place, uh, which came out in 1950, <gasps> directed by Nicholas Ray, starring one Humphrey Bogart. I've never heard of him. Never heard of it. I've never. Oh, it oh, must be some kind of B movie actor that never made it. Um, <laughs> and we were going to be pairing that with uh, Brick, directed by Ryan Johnson, came out in 2005, starring Joseph Gordon Levitt in one of his first big screen roles because obviously he was a tv actor before i am looking forward to be talking about in in a lonely place i'm very um, much i'm very much excited to talk about ryan johnson it means i can i can say that you know and that the star wars the last jedi is the second best star wars film and have a justification can we not talk about star wars we're not going to be no i won't we won't be talking about star wars as star wars I, i'll be if i'm going to talk about star wars next week it's going to be in terms of ryan johnson's filmography okay um and uh him as a director so okay, yeah so i'll be talking a lot about nicholas ray yeah i i was looking at his filmography and the only one i've actually seen of his before um is rebel without a cause um oh we're gonna be talking about nicholas ray when we talk about johnny guitar as well so watch yeah. out yeah we, we we do have a johnny guitar episode <laughs> I, i'm looking forward to that <laughs> Yeah. okay um so yeah that's that's next week um thank you everybody for listening so danny uh where can we find you on the internet oh well, you can find me on twitter at kino joan and my website is kinojoan.co.uk and you can find me on twitter at nikesh chandler um i'm also on Netterblocks. Um, my website is superatomovision.com I also have a YouTube channel, um, which has got the one film on there at the moment, but I'm currently working on other things. Um, so keep an eye on that and subscribe to that. Um, give us an email, uh, keenatomic at gmail.com, with any feedback or any suggestions for films to cover. Would be greatly appreciated, even if it's just to tell us that we suck. Uh, <laughs> Uh, or tell me to stop talking and Danny to talk more. Um, that's <laughs> the kind of feedback we're looking at. We're looking for. Um, so yeah, uh, leave a rating, um, subscribe, obviously, 
um yeah so so thank you for listening from me thank you i'll see you next time Bye.